0: Uh, this is not a weekly occurrence, but we are taking a little departure from doing a regular uh, Sunday morning uh, sermon, and instead, uh, to conclude our little mini series on a uh, little mini series on sex, we are going to have a panel of people who are uh, really uh, experts in their field in one way or another. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, the couple faces you you might not. Uh, recognize, uh, first of all, coming up, Dr. Morgan. Um, uh, we've got uh, Ruth Buesas. I said it wrong. I just like it. Tell me one more time. I know. <laughs> Ruth Buesas. Buesas, that's right. And you, we rehearsed it too, and I said it wrong. All right. Ruth Buesas. Uh, Ruth is the, uh, right now, she is, some of you have heard us, uh, the, the, heard about this class we've been teaching called Awaken Love for about married sex. And uh, about uh, 30 of us are in this class that Ruth uh, has been teaching us, and it's been fantastic. Ruth is the author of a book called "Awaken Love." She's going to tell you just a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, most of you recognize Sarah Gross. She and I are connected, we're married. <laughs> uh. <coughs> and uh, we're a thing, we're a thing. <coughs> and uh, Sarah is a psychotherapist. Uh, She uh, works, uh, among many other things, she works with uh, many people who have experienced sexual trauma and uh, helps them uh, recover. And uh, so Dr. Morgan is the CEO of the Union Gospel Mission uh, here in St. Paul. And uh, some of you already know Dr. Morgan. Yep. And uh, in addition to being the CEO and in addition to being a pastor, he is also a psychotherapist. Uh, and uh, also works with uh, people who are recovering from sexual trauma and uh, uh, Dr. Morgan often uh, frequently interacts with with people who are kind of going through the very worst uh, sexual trauma imaginable and so he's gonna just mention that a little bit uh, most of you recognize Dr. Rasmussen <coughs> um, <coughs> our senior pastor and uh, um, uh, so just briefly how this is going to work uh, before each person says a, a brief introduction. Uh, I, uh, we asked in the last few weeks for you to send us questions. Many of you, many of you did. Uh, we tried to, so some questions were overlapping, some questions, I'm sorry, were awkwardly worded <laughs> or strangely worded. So I, I, we put together uh, some questions that seemed sort of representative of uh, some of the concerns that were out there. We're not going to get to every question I've asked each panelist to be, brief, if possible. And uh, so we don't, ha- just so you guys know, we don't have one of those canes to pull you off. And if you aren't brief, so we'll, I don't know, do something passive-aggressive, like, you know, give you funny faces or something. If you see people falling asleep, then you know it's time to pass the mic. All right. <coughs> uh, and uh, and so um, I'm, I'm going to ask questions. Some of them are directed at one of the people, but anyone else can step in and uh, respond as well. So 1st uh, We'll just start over here, uh, Ruth, if you could just say a few words about yourself, a few words about your book, and, uh, and, and tell us a little bit about why you're here.
1: Um, after going through transformation in my own marriage and realizing, I don't know, how much I had neglected my sex life, um, I just felt compelled and called to start teaching others about sex. Um, we don't talk about it in the church much, and if we do, it's kind of on a, on a surface level. And so um, I invited eight close friends to my porch and started teaching about sex classes. And from that time, it has grown. I've taught um, over 800 women personally um, and then probably another 800 women using video classes.
2: Great. Um, Sarah Gross, and uh, I've been in practice uh, as a psychotherapist for about 20 years, seeing teens, adults, couples, I currently serve at Nystrom & Associates. I'm the executive director of the DBT program, so I oversee about 80 staff at 15 locations, about a thousand clients, and so really kind of see the whole gamut of, of what people are struggling with. I also serve here as an elder, um, and I'm married to that guy.
3: <laughs> uh, being raised as a devout, devout Roman Catholic, uh, I really had to deal with sex as being something dirty for a very very long time and so getting deliverance in that area and being able to realize the freedom that we have in christ is tremendously important and working with trauma with so many people who come into the mission is a really important task and i think sex has been so divorced from covenant relationship that god is left out completely even with christians and i think we have to remember that god has given us that gift in the purity of the marriage bed to satisfy one another but ultimately to glorify god I'm excited to be on this auspicious panel.
0: <laughs> all right. So, so we're going to jump into the questions. Uh, so these are all questions that were sent to us ahead of time. We, we warned you guys that uh, we probably wouldn't have time for questions from the floor. And, and that has proven to be true. We have more than enough questions. So uh, um, I'm going to uh, start out with some questions directed at various individuals. So uh, first of all, um, Ruth, if you could uh, tell us How can we better handle our children's natural curiosity or interest in sex without taking the easy way out and calling it all taboo?
1: I'm gonna open this up to just talking to your children about sex in general. Um, Your kids will hear your attitude about sex more than they will hear your words. If, if, If you are nervous talking about sex, um If you still have shame in your life around the area of sex, they're going to hear that and not come to you to ask questions. So the first thing is it is so important to work on yourself and get get your ideas about sex right. Um, the other thing is you need, you need to step into conversations, every opportunity to talk about sex. It's not about one talk. it's about constant conversations. and usually when kids are little, they're quite curious. And they ask lots of questions. A lot of times we put them off, and by the time we want to talk to them when they're 10 or 11, that's the last thing they want to talk to us about. The women that I've had in class that have great attitudes about sex did not remember a conversation about sex. They knew they could always ask their parents anything. And and it was just a normal conversation in the household, just like, how do trees grow? <laughs> and so um, a couple other things to think about. One. When we think about talking about sex, we always think about how do you make a baby. If you think about how many times you have sex in marriage, there are a lot of times that you have sex that are not to make a baby. And so you need to be talking about what is that about, not just how do you create life, right? Sex is about creating unity. It's about getting to know each other. It's a a way to comfort each other. So you need to talk about those things. And then just one last thing. Is um, I I think that your kids hear the beginning and the end of the conversation more than the middle, and so the beginning of your conversation always has to start with an affirmation of, you know what, uh, what an amazing thing that you're curious, or what a great body that you gave, that God gave you, or you know what, thank you for having the courage to come and talk to me and ask me this question because I know that was hard, and and it always needs to end with this reminder, I'm so glad you came and talked to me. You can talk to me about anything. There is nothing that is off limits to talk about. That's great, thank
3: you. I'll just add too, uh, you certainly won't agree with all this on this website, but there's a website, www.todaysparent.com, family parenting age by age guide to talking to your kids about sex. So if you feel inadequate, it'll at least give you a ballpark kind of orientation of how you might begin to talk to your children. Uh, age by age about sex again you certainly won't agree with everything that's on there but it will help you that's
0: great thank
1: you well and i would say you know it's never too late if you have teenagers and you've never talked to them about sex take ownership and say you know what i, I i'm sorry i I, sh- I wish i had talked to you more about sex when you're younger um but honestly my parents didn't talk to me about sex and so this is really hard for me but i want to get better and so, take ownership for where you are and move forward. It is never too late to open up the conversation.
0: That's great, thank you. All right, this, this next uh, it's a set of questions, and I'm gonna direct them both to Dr. Morgan and to Sarah, because uh, they both have to deal, deal with uh, sexual trauma. So, the first part of the question is, how do you, in your practices, uh, how do you help people overcome sexual trauma? And the next part of the question is, how do we, as non-professionals, help others overcome their sexual trauma, and how do we help people prevent sexual trauma? Uh, Those of us who are not not professionals. So either of you can start.
3: Well, first of all, I think we have to normalize the experience. Many times when people, I don't mean normalize in the sense that it's acceptable, but allow people the opportunity to be expressive of their feelings. You know, many times as Christians, we kind of have judgment about specific things that cause people to close up rather than open up. Uh, there are individuals that uh, live in the event. Uh, when I counsel people, I'd say, you, you have to learn to live in process. If you live in the event of an abusive situation, the event defines your life and imprisons you. But if you live in the process of the event, the de- event does not define you, and you can employ interventions, you can employ uh, the, in- the uh, advice of others in terms of getting past that event and live in process, and you're not devalued in it, you're able to recover uh, from that event, uh, and you're able to move into what God really has for your life with the support of loving others.
2: Um, I <clears throat> I personally do a, a, a structured treatment for PTSD, post-traumatic stress for people with sexual trauma, um, and really what that involves, and a lot of the treatments for sexual trauma um, are about telling your story, facing it, one of the biggest things that comes up for people with any kind of trauma is a desire to avoid, avoid the feelings related to it, the images, um, and even beginning to avoid things like going to the grocery store or a certain smell that reminds them of the trauma or those sorts of things. And so really facing it and I'm doing what's called exposure where you really, you know, tell the story in a safe place. So I do a structured um, treatment for that. But I think pretty much always sexual trauma goes with shame. And I think a lot of what I'm treating is the shame. Um, And and frequently, I would say more often than not, you can say kind of what you experience. When people reveal to me that they have sexual trauma, one of the things they say is the trauma itself was awful, but the worst part was being invalidated by my community. My mom didn't believe me, my community didn't believe me. What was I wearing, was it my fault? and so I think as a community, we need to be a safe space for people to share their stories and to not hide and to be able to be with their shame so that it can so that, so that they can recover. I also think and I think we're, we've been doing a really good job of this in the last few years. Um, we need to be not naive about sexual trauma and it happens in churches and it happens just as often in churches as anywhere else and so we need to do stuff like the children's ministry is doing where we train people and are observant Um, sexual predators like churches because people like to think that um, there's no sexual brokenness in churches and that's just a big fat lie and we have to protect our children and our teenagers um, and be a safe space for people to, to confront their shame
3: and this is a little sensitive and people don't usually think about it It's really important that if you've been a victim, uh, sometimes people who have been the victims of sexual assault, their bodies respond to it in a a sense where they enjoy it. And so they end up feeling really, really guilty about that and feel like they've been complicit in the violation of their own rights. Uh, But the human body responds, especially women, kind of automatically. And we have to encourage people to know that they weren't giving their consent uh, because there was a pleasurable physical response, and that is an important element, I think, for people in terms of shame and their ability to recover. That's
0: great. Thank you. Uh, and, and any any other tips for what the average uh, non-professional can do uh, in addition to you know making the church a safe place, being vigilant about our children?
1: Um, we ran a a small group for women that had been sexually abused, and and almost all of them had been through counseling, but they said. The group dynamic really helped them. So, so finding a support group where you're not just one-on-one with a counselor, but you're opening up this circle of people that you, you can talk to about this event and feel safe and, and empathy and compassion. Okay. And Become, and then, a, reflect, I'm sorry, become a
3: reflective listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- too often we as Christians believe we have to fix people. A lot of times people don't need you to fix them. They just need you to listen to them and do some reflective listening and let them know that you hear what they're saying.
2: And, and with that, be very, very non-judgmental. Um, and also, just sexual brokenness is on, you know, maybe a continuum. We're all sexually broken, and so I think sometimes people think if the experiences they've had aren't acutely traumatic, or you know, everybody's got stuff, and we need to be a place where people can talk openly about their stuff. Thank
0: you. All right, this next one direct at you, Ruth. Um, what are three intimacy killers that couples face? Intimacy killers.
1: One, uh, the first one that comes to mind is exhaustion. and That might be from kids, that might be from work, and that might be from just being too busy in the rat race. Um, we have to slow down to have time and energy to, to connect and just breathe and be together. Um, the second one is screens. Um, we live in a world filled with screens, and we constantly have our phones on, our computers on, our TV, TVs on. And we've got to set boundaries, so we begin seeing each other, again, eye to eye. And so I, I encourage everyone to, to set up some sort of boundaries for your screens. We, we won't live without them, but we, we could set boundaries. And even just for a week, decide, you know what, from 8.30 at night till 8 in the morning, we're going to have no screens. And then see what the impact is. And, and I think you will find that it is dramatic. Um, exhaustion, screens. And, and then the third one is the sexual baggage. I just think so many of us have, se- whether it's sexual baggage or we have believed lies about sex, um, uh, porn, like there's all kinds of things in that area that make us believe that we shouldn't really enjoy the sex that much or we can't have that much freedom or there's all kinds of ways that that plays in and so those are, those are the three. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um Dr. Morgan, uh can you tell us what are some connections between poverty and sexual trauma?
3: Yeah, I wanted to write these down because they're so important and I want to take these 3 minutes and make them worthwhile. Uh beware of symptoms of uh, to, of your symptoms to get professional help. Uh that's something that we need to do. And I, I think when we look at it, when we understand the triggers that result from trauma, at least the inability hmm. in relationships. Uh, for women, understanding that because she's physically aroused, like I said before, that, that doesn't make her complicit. Knowing that it's never too late to get help and recover from sexual trauma is important. But I think when we look at poverty, the anxiety that people feel, uh, the anger that they feel, uh, oftentimes cause them to be emotionally reactive mm. in their relationships. Domestic violence, partner violence, is among the highest uh, race of violence mm. in relationships. So it's not mm. like strangers. Mm. It's people that people know. Mm. I think being in situations where we, we're put uh, to have to bring home finances, mm. financial situations, the, the things that happen from that. So we end up abusing people, taking mm. things out. Uh, on others, uh, the need to self medicate uh, mm. because of depression mm. or being uh, dissatisfied mm. with life uh, and forcing uh, people into situations that we really ought not to, uh, learning behaviors that are inappropriate and thinking that they are, mm. uh, and really realizing that people are human beings. Mm. And so, in order to abuse somebody, you have to dehumanize them. Mm. And I think when we look at uh, sexual trafficking and those kinds of things, we can't believe what people do to other people. That's because they see them as objects. They no longer see them as people. Mm. And I think when we're teaching those kinds of things and making the church aware that we need to be sensitive to one another, that all of us are really made in the image and likeness of God. God. And the way we treat each other is really Mm. important in terms of what we model as Christians Mm. to the rest of the world.
0: Okay, good. Good. Thank you. And now to follow-up on that question. This is for for everybody. Uh, If there is a connection, since there is a connection between uh, sexual trauma but all kinds of other life circumstances, including depression, poverty, uh, all kinds of financial troubles, if there's a connection, what can the church do to address the, the whole person in trying to prevent sexual trauma?
3: One thing I think the church can do that I don't think churches think about is establish a fund that you can get professional counseling for people that really need it, who are really in situations where uh, lay counseling will not do. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if churches really think proactively mm-hmm. about setting aside funds for people in the church that they discover that really have debilitating, uh, impairing kinds of uh, situations in their lives resulting from trauma, that the church can provide those avenues mm-hmm. for them to get the help that they need. That's great.
1: Thank you. I, I think that authenticity in churches, can filter from the top down, and and so when leaders in church are authentic and honest about their struggles, it gives others permission to be authentic and honest about their struggles, and and to open up opportunities for healing. If you can't even admit that you have a struggle or or um, you know trauma in your past, then you
2: can't get help. Mm. That's good and i think i think we need along with that we need to kind of get rid of a us them mm-hmm. mentality we're all just us um and i think you know i i have um had the privilege just as an elder and someone in this community of of walking alongside people in this community with certain kinds of sexual brokenness um and on the one hand i think our community is incredibly welcoming and warm and loving and i think we're you know we do a fantastic job of that but heartbreaking to hear people say things like, well, but I can never actually share that in my small group. Like, we share a lot, but I'm not going to share that. You know, um, and so to be able to share things like, I struggle with pornography or I'm in therapy to heal from my sexual abuse or, you know, to sort of have it be normal that we go to some of those deeper places in our small groups and our women's groups and men's groups, um, I, think, I think we could, I think we do really well and I think we could go deeper and do a little bit better yeah great
4: and, and let me say one thing related to that I think um, as we go from this time when we've kind of opened up a topic we haven't talked a lot about we need to not just be like oh that was good we did that um, but we need to find ways to have those topics in a small group or maybe maybe not maybe ha- find someone or a group of three that you meet with regularly and you say you know, here, let, let's talk about this. Let's keep talking about this. How's it going? And um, I, I have found the the Sex for Married Men class, that we've been doing the video while the women have been doing the other one, really powerful because we got to talk about this in church. And we all shared what was really going on with us and what had happened with, in church. And that's, I think, powerful in itself, even for me. And I think for other people, too, it's, it's powerful. So we need to not just leave it at that, but um, Keep moving into it, even with our you know, uh, discomfort, um, but, but keep moving there. Because we are the place that we can get rid of shame. That's what the cross
3: is about. Amen. And
4: we are the place that we can get healing. it's so.
3: good. And can I say, uh, being a pastor, this is my 40 year in the ministry, and uh, I've heard and seen a lot of things. I've seen pastors give horrible advice to people. And I think when we characterize ourselves as Christian counselors, it's very important that you know the Word of God, Mm. number one. Mm. Secondly, that you know something about treatment modalities, number two. Mm. So if you're characterizing yourself as a Christian counselor Mm. and you don't know the Bible, you're really outside your scope of competence Mm. and you're really violating the ethics of the Mm. profession. So I think it's really, really important for people in church, not the counsel, if they're not able. It's
4: good, It's good. And and with that, let's just be honest. Andrew and I are not the ones who are trained as counselors, so we will probably meet with you once, maybe twice, and try to refer you to somebody else. And yes, we do have a benevolence fund that can help to to do that if your insurance doesn't cover it, if you have some other things. So um, we aren't that kind of professionals. We know the word of God, and we and we know people a little bit, but we will probably refer you to somebody who uh, we know who can do a better job.
0: Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, Sarah brought up something that. Uh, going to save for a little bit later but now's a good time for it. Uh, I'd like each of you to address this. Uh, Sarah mentioned uh, pornography as a growing problem. I'm wondering if each of you could say a little something uh, about that and what, what are the challenges the church faces. Maybe Ruth, if you could start about, uh, tell us a little bit about what the the challenges of pornography, what that does in a, in a marriage.
1: Uh, you know, it's interesting. It can go one of two ways. Um, one, the person that's struggling with pornography wants to try everything that he's seen in pornography, or two, the person that's struggled with pornography doesn't want to do anything besides have vanilla sex because he feels like the rest of it's all wrong because sex has become so connected with shame. Um, I, I see pornography constantly in class as far as women that have been impacted by it, men that have been impacted by it. We've got to bring this topic to the light, um, and we've got to support... Uh, not just the person struggling with pornography, but the person that has been sexually betrayed by the spouse that struggled with pornography. Um, I'm just starting my first group of, of women that to, to support them as they, they are recovering from sexual betrayal because that impacts them regardless of whether their husband becomes sober and um, recovers or not, or if they get stay married or they get divorced. Um, that sexual betrayal... Betrayal causes them to have a hard time trusting. That like there's all kinds of things that come out of that, and so we've got to start supporting the the spouses too.
0: Anybody else? I we had yeah, yeah. Anyone can share.
2: Yeah, I mean, pornography. I it, 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 I've gotten used to asking about it with almost everyone. It it it's. Uh, it's not have you seen it it's when's the last time you saw it well or, or yeah or it's just so normalized um and yeah it, i feel like it's a it's a, tri- a tricky subject i've sat with a lot of women who feel like you know betrayed by a spouse looking at pornography i sit with a lot of women who look at pornography and have shame because they feel like they're the only woman that looks at pornography when there's a growing number of women looking at pornography um and pornography is usually paired with masturbation, and so that has to be discussed because the the, the pornography gets joined with orgasm. I mean just to be frank like so you got to talk about all that stuff and um, so it gets complicated and you know and I what's becoming sort of normalized in our culture, I think we need to be non-judgmental, but also you know I sit with couples who are having Sex with other couples, or you know, there's just a lot of things that are becoming kind of mainstream, and I think we need to um, not judge, but also you know assess properly and how is it impacting people. And I think sometimes, um, like for instance, sitting with a couple and and one of them wants to use pornography in the marriage, um, and the other one feels like to to be an interesting mate, what if they have to go along. You know, so I, I just feel like you have to have really open, honest, frank discussions and assessment and um, it's a complicated topic.
3: Yeah, I think in prevention, uh, prevent uh, early exposure. Uh, most pornography or addiction to it happens uh, from a young age. Uh, that's really important. Don't form the habit. That's another thing. Uh, don't give in to uh, sexually suggestive material. I think that's also important because when you really look at dispelling myths, sometimes men think that abusing women or forcing them to have sex when they're not willing is somehow manly. Uh, So when you look at, I remember uh, studying as a a budding therapist, uh, reports about how pornography literally changes the wiring of the brain and that pornographic pictures literally burns an image into your brain and increase new neural pathways in your brain, that, that your brain actually changes. But thank God that neuroplasticity it works both ways. If you stop looking at pornography, your brain can again rewire again. But you can't keep looking at it and expect a rewiring of your brain. And, and I tell you, avoid it like the plague. What I've seen... Uh, happened to men through the years. It destroys men, destroys their marriages, destroys their self-image, their self-concept, and destroys their uh, confidence in serving God. So I say run from it like the plague.
4: And maybe just also to recognize that there isn't a line in our society. It's it's hard to drive down the freeway without seeing pornography in some sense because there's all this that happens. And we have to be really... Really vigilant on on it, and and it is it's it's disastrous, and we're we're seeing connections with depression with all kinds of uh, results of that. But we also have to be honest, and so one way to say it's bad. On the other hand, we have to be honest and open with each other about here's where I'm at, here's where I'm tempted, here's what's going on, and it, yes, it's women as well as men, and um, but I just want to throw a verse on to so uh, Song of Solomon is. Very explicit but it's not pornographic but one of the things that says over and over is do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires and so you really need to as young people if you're not married don't arouse or awaken love everybody's trying to and this is where money sex and power come together because this is all about money that's why it's out there they're making a lot of money off of you and it's about power over people often in, in what's portrayed and, and it's um, and it's deadly
3: guys I'll give you an easy thing to do what I start doing early on, and you know people have HBO and Cinemax and all that, and what I would do if something came on us, I'm a holy man. God does not approve prove evil. He does not approve I'm a holy man. And I'd say it out loudly. And if you practice that I guarantee you, it'll start changing you. Nice. That's
2: good. That's good. Well, one thing I just... I think it's really important that we remember... We, we talk a lot about watching pornography, but to think about people who are in pornography and that they are made in the image of God, that they're not two-dimensional beings that we get to just watch for our gratification and that frequently people who are in pornography have traumatic backgrounds and they're reenacting things. Um, and thats they've gotten their worth from being sexualized. So it's really, really... Um, wrong of us to gratify ourselves um, in that way that is a person made in the image of God and we need to think about them, that's someone's sister, that's someone's mother, that's someone's brother Um, we need to think about it that way
1: Uh, pornography thrives in the dark and
2: uh, for most
1: kids it's not a matter of if they, they will see it, it's a matter of when they'll see it And so it's so important for parents already to be at a place where their kids can talk to them and to be a judgment-safe place where their kids know that they can talk to them about anything. The other thing, when I think about pornography, I think it's the opposite of intimacy. And so if we want to battle pornography, what we do is we create intimacy. And so that means a husband and wife being able to really be honest with each other, even about their brokenness, and um, and I think that that husbands and wives, th- they need to get it to a place where they can battle this together, and they can both be honest about what's going on in their lives. But but the same goes with your kids. Like, can your kids be honest with you, or or is it too much for you for you to handle? And you're like, how could you do this? No, like we've got to start from a place of compassion. That's
0: good. Um, uh, Ruth, I want to follow up uh, with something related. Uh, someone mentioned uh, the connection with masturbation. Uh, masturbation is often, it, it, it's kind of a gray area. And with the class, you shared some great tips for when there is a gray area in the Bible. The Bible is not 100% clear one way or the other about masturbation. Uh, so what, what, What? could you share those tips with the whole Yeah, Yes, so masturbation,
1: probably more taboo than talking about sex, really. And... Um, The Bible, the passage that a lot of people like to use is in Genesis, I think it's in Genesis 38, Um, Onan was supposed to fertilize his dead brother's wife in order to carry on the family line, and he had sex with her, and he pulled out, so his his seeds fell on the ground, and God struck him dead. Well, he wasn't masturbating, he was having sex with her, and then he pulled out. And so um, the Bible doesn't really address masturbation, but we need to realize there are a lot of biblical principles that apply to not just the rest of our life, but to, our, to the area of sexuality and to masturbation too. For instance, um, the Bible says you will have no God before me. Masturbation can become our, uh, our God, a thing that we go to when we're stressed out, we don't know what to do, and we need to feel better. And so masturbation is not supposed to be, become our God. Um, it, the, I think that God created us for a relationship. And so if masturbation is something that makes you hide, that fills you with shame, that makes you hide from God, then that's, that's not good, right? And so um, um, other principles that apply is that though a lot of things are allowed, not everything is beneficial, and so you need to think to yourself, is this beneficial for me? And, um, and things aren't supposed to control us. And, and so there's not one answer when it comes to masturbation. And, and rather than just, like with masturbation, we like to take this black and white approach of either all masturbation is wrong, never ever masturbate, or, well, we're a sexual beings, so if you want to masturbate, just masturbate as much as you want. God leaves us somewhere in the middle of saying, you know what? With me, discern. Is this a healthy thing that's helping us stay in relationship? Is this a healthy thing that is making you, uh, you know, a better person? And I think that there are interesting scenarios where masturbation might be helpful. Oh, let me add one other biblical principle that the Bible is super clear about when it comes to masturbation, and that is lust. The Bible is so clear about not lusting. And so we are never supposed to um, take an image in our mind and use it in order for our own sexual gratification. But if you don't lust, is it possible that there be, could be times when masturbation might be helpful? Um, I'll throw out an interesting scenario. Let's say um, you have a teenage son. He wants to go to church camp for a week, but he's terrified that he's going to make a mess because he might have a wet dream while he's at camp. And so he doesn't want to go. Is it possible that he could, um, in a sense, say, you know what, God, thank you for the body that you gave me. And, and in a sense, kind of like not lost, uh, but take care of a physical need so that he could go to church camp and, and enjoy that time without this worry it's an interesting thought. I don't have any, like there, I, I would never give any rules of mas- about masturbation. What I would tell you is pray about it or have your kids pray about it and say, God, is this something that is holy? Is this something that will bring you glory? Is this something that is, that is honoring to you? Or is this something that's going to cause a division between you and I? Um, even with older people, um, There are some doctors that would suggest if you want to keep your body healthy and you're not in a relationship, one of the ways that you keep your body is by having a regular sexual release. That's a way that you care for your body. It's self-care. If you can do that without lusting, is that a way that you care for your body like God says to care for your body? I don't know. But you discern that with God. God is this God-honoring?
0: All right. Thank you. Um, let, me, let me just,
4: yeah, when, go ahead. I'm going to pick up on one of the principles you mentioned. When there's gray areas, one of the, you talked about, is it biblical? Yeah. And you're right. The Bible doesn't actually say anything about masturbation itself, either yes or no. So then we shouldn't add it as another rule that isn't in the Bible. Um, and one of the other principles you gave, was, so then you said there are some principles. One of them was, does it lead to intimacy? So if it's leading to intimacy, if it's part of uh, a couple making love, if they're having phone sex because they're apart for months, um, maybe, maybe it would be okay if it's actually leading toward intimacy and not a part of lust. But um, when we make it such a big deal, we can, it can be compulsive. Richard Foster talks about we don't want a compulsive masturbation. We also don't want compulsive non-masturbation, thinking all the time about how I'm not going to masturbate. Um, so, the, the uh, you know, so there's, there's the, uh, I, so I think, again, this is something that scripture doesn't actually give us, it doesn't say anything. So, we, we can't condemn something that scripture doesn't condemn, but we do need to be aware of the things it does condemn, like lust and planning out how you're going to, you're going to take some somebody, um, you know, looking at somebody to lust after them and figure out a plan. That's what scripture, Jesus said, don't do that. Um, so... I think, again, these are, these are things we need to talk about. And one of the, one of the things you really gave was if, if it's leading to intimacy, it probably means you're talking about it. So as a couple, as, as a married couple, or if you're, in, if you're not married and you have a, 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 son, a good friend that you're talking about, then it's not a hidden thing you're, you're saying. And you're, so I'm going to be on this business trip. What do you think if um, we had phone sex, we did this? That, that can lead toward intimacy. But if, as long as it's hidden it's likely to be leading away from intimacy.
0: That's good. All right. So switching uh, topics a little bit. Yeah, We said the word masturbation, guys, in church. Okay. <laughs> um, Sarah, uh, wondering, when um, someone comes to you hoping to bring their disordered sexual behavior under control, what are some ways that you would guide them? So it may or may not be from trauma, but it's the behavior they want to change. How, how would you lead them or guide them?
2: Um, I, I mean, I think, as with all things, what I've learned is that any sort of treatment failures are assessment failures, so, so I would assess very carefully. Um, and a lot of times people sort of say one thing, but there's like a hundred other things that they're not saying. And so, or it's like right the doorknob thing, where they say it right as they're leaving your office, um, and you have no time left. So I've just learned to ask. Um The right questions, I guess I would say, um, and a lot of it's about um, it, figuring out what what people want and what their value like for instance, I might sit with someone who their values really are, I believe masturbation's wrong, then I'll meet them there. I might challenge them a little bit or ask questions, and then someone who believes masturbation is okay within these confines, and so um, whatever the whatever the issue is um I think some of the common things that I see um, are just uh, kinds of brokenness, like um, I sit with a lot of Christian women, um, for instance, maybe who had absent parents absent fathers and then that's gotten sexualized and so they're always kind of going after the unavailable men or um, Maybe they have sexual trauma and so they actually have violent sex and they hate that they do that and they don't understand Why so to explain that to them normalize it to them um, So it really starts with just assessing where people at what their goals are um, and meeting them there and as a Christian therapist weaving in um, a Christian worldview, um, but very carefully. um, Because I think people come with a lot of assumptions about what a Christian worldview is or what a Christian counselor believes. And sometimes I really scramble people's eggs when I'll say stuff like, well, maybe we should have you start masturbating to figure out what's going on down there. Like, you don't even, you've never explored yourself, you know, and it's sort of like, wow, you're a Christian counselor and you're assigning me to masturbate? Yep. You know, so it just... (laughs) (laughs) so it really depends on the person and the kinds of things that they're struggling with and what the brokenness is
0: awesome uh all right next one uh for ruth um ruth how can we facilitate uh young people benefiting from the learning and experience of the more relationally mature couples what are some things we can do as a church to make that happen
1: I You know, I think what you've been doing with this has been amazing, um, opening up the panel, having the classes, um, having continued classes afterwards. But I think one-on-one mentoring, I mean, it's about getting comfortable talking about sex, and that's a big part of the classes. The classes are powerful, um, ten times more powerful because you're doing it with a group of people. And so you're getting comfortable talking, and hopefully that flows out of the classes into more conversations. We have believed this lie in the church that we can't talk about sex. And that's a lie. We can talk about sex in really good and healthy ways that is encouraging. I mean, we have groups for accountability for um, waiting to have sex till you're married. Should we have accountability groups for having great sex within marriage? And I think that. Um, actually people that are married can be great mentors for single people because we need to help them understand um, why they're waiting and what they're waiting for and, and the implications of you know, the choices that they make and from our mistakes or from our experiences. And so I, I think it's a combination of planned resources but also just one on one stepping into those conversations and I think it has to start from a place of understanding and compassion. Of man, like it, marriage is hard. Like marriage is really hard for me. And then opening up conversations about some of your own struggles, so that people can open up their their struggles.
0: Thank you. All right. Uh, next one is for Sarah. Um, how does uh, our, how should our church leadership navigate? the inherent tensions in balancing a loving response to LGBTQ community on the one hand, so a loving response on one hand, especially those who felt very hurt by churches, how do we balance that with honest uh, faithfulness to um, uh, a biblical understanding of God's view of sexuality? What's a a possible way to balance that?
2: That's a super nice, easy question. (laughs) Um... (laughs) It, this, this is something that's near and dear to my heart and something I pray about a lot. Um, and as a, as a church leader, um, I feel really strongly that I what's happening in the church is we've been told there's two camps. We either get to be in the high view of scripture camp or the loving, social justice, civil rights, caring camp. And I refuse to be in either camp. I absolutely refuse to be in either camp. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we can walk a middle path with a high view of Scripture on sexuality and really wrestle with what Scripture says about sexuality, but be absolutely loving, care about social justice, care about civil rights. Um, And and I think we have to, to reflect the heart of Jesus. Um, And... I, I think if we're comfortable on this topic, given what's going on in our culture, it, I think we're a little bit in danger. I, I, this is a t- I have spent lots of time in tears um, as someone who wants to be a loving ally to those in the LGBT community, but I also want to have a high view of scripture. And so I, just, I think we need to insist that we not be put in those two camps and that we find a, a middle path.
0: Great. Any, any of you others have a comment on that same, especially Dr. Morgan or Ruth from coming outside of our church? How could our church well, or I any church really, do a good job? I think it's it.
3: a really challenging topic because you have stuff like androgen insensitivity syndrome where you have individuals uh, that has a male formality of their genitals, uh, the male and female genitals. Uh, so what do you do in situations like that where you have, uh, rare situations where you can't easily assign a sex to somebody. And how do we deal with that in the church? And furthermore, how do we create an atmosphere where people can talk about the struggles not only with sexuality, but what gender they are. Okay. And so you have people who are assigning gender to kids to babies, and, you know, young kids and stuff, before they have a time, chance to, to really develop. And I think we as Christians, when we make blanket black and white statements, it makes us sound relatively ignorant to the learned world. Hmm. And I think we have to be cognizant that there are situations in life that are not easily explainable and we need to educate ourselves in the church so that we can respond rationally and sensibly to very real life issues.
2: Hmm. And I think um, it's really important that, I hear a lot of Christians just throw everything in the same pot and sexuality and gender identity are different things. And we need to educate ourselves on these issues and LGBTQ, whether it's plus or there's different ways to say it like is actually an umbrella term for like a hundred different things and I, I hear a lot of Christians be really like dismissive or um, and I think it's really important to educate ourselves and be respectful
1: uh, Sarah said earlier that we are all sexually broken I, I'm completely in agreement with that and I, and I think we need to take the log like Stop pointing at others and work on ourselves. And we need to um, make sure that the focus is telling people about Jesus, not about trying to fix them and making them a project. Um, we have to come from a, a place of compassion and not from a place of, like, I have simple answers for you. There are no simple answers in, in these areas, and there's um, there's so much brokenness and, and Man, our heart ought to be broken for the broken.
0: All right. So the next few questions, uh, I'd love it if each of you could address them uh, briefly, of course. But um, uh, so um, uh, the, the first one uh, is, uh, how can we do a better job of um, helping singles feel like they're not missing out Uh, when they choose the path of sexual integrity and sexual purity, um, and then connected with that, how how can we be a better family to uh, singles among us? Any order? Can you
3: ask one more time?
0: Yes. Uh, So, how (laughs) can we... What about sex for singles? (laughs) How can we help singles feel less like they're missing out uh, when they choose God's path of sexual integrity or sexual purity and uh, and then how can we be a better family to our singles?
3: Well, I think I'm a great example of that. I alluded earlier that I grew up you know in a very strict Roman Catholic mindset where sex was completely dirty and so I think not having you know in those days you didn't talk to your parents about anything you're seen and not heard kind of thing uh, not like kids have the ability to talk to their parents today And I think parents need to take advantage of that to really talk to their kids. I know my wife talks to my daughter about certain things so that she can be prepared because she's going to learn it somewhere. Mm. I prefer to learn it at home Mm. with a mother who cares about it and can speak to her as a a young lady about those intimate kinds of things to prepare her, number one, to be able to understand who she is as a person, number two, to understand who she will be in relationships with the opposite sex, And number three, how to handle herself in the world in a way that pleases God without being approved. Hmm.
0: It's good. Thank you.
1: I'm going to take just a little different direction on this. Um, I think sexuality is, God created us as sexual beings to draw us into relationship. And that doesn't matter whether you're single or whether you're married. It just looks different. And, And so singles are created for intimacy. Men. Even though they're not married. And so we need to be willing to have, like, we should f- have intimate relationships with singles in our congregations where we talk to them about real things, where we touch them and we, we, you know, put our arm around their shoulder. or, um, And so that's, I think that's important. I think singles can feel so alone.
2: And so we've got to just gather them. I just think, in general, we need to have a higher view of singleness. I didn't grow up in the church, and and it coming into the church as a young adult, it just was interesting to me. There is just this wacky kind of there is an idolatry of the of the nuclear family that's just a little off, um, and I think we need to name that and own that. And um, it's not. I mean, the Bible has a high view of singleness. Paul had a very high view of singleness. Our Lord Jesus was a single man. Like, I think we just ought to have a higher view of singleness. And I think I sit with a lot of single, young Christian women, and there's this sense of, like, being a second-class citizen until they get married and have kids, and that is just wrong. And we just need to have a culture. I know when I talk to my kids about their future, I usually try to say, if God has married, like, and make it very clear that singleness would be one of their choices. Because I just, it, when we talk about it as if that's just the thing, that it's just the natural progression of things, well, it just isn't for everybody. And I also think for singles, it's okay to, to live in the tension of, um, it, some singles really do want to be married and have kids, and to live in the tension of how do I live, bloom where I'm planted, live a really full, rich, community, Christian life as a single, and pray my longings and ask God for those longings, um, and God doesn't guarantee you know one or the other. Sometimes people are single for seasons, divorced or widowed, or you know we just need to have a higher view of it. I think we need to be more intentional. Um, two of my best friends in the whole world are, are single women, and just part of our family. Um, but also, it can't always be the singles coming to the married and, and the kids. It's got to go the other direction. So I have asked, like, how can I be a good friend to you? What am I missing? what would it look like for me to be as reciprocal for me as you are for me? And I think we need to, to, to do that more. That's
0: great. Thank you. Pastor Steve, any additional
4: comments I on I just that? am so glad for all the singles that are in our congregation. <laughs> and as we talked about before, the singles are, Paul said, um, it's the gift of singleness, meaning you are a gift to the congregation. It's a gift like the gift of leadership or teaching. It's a gift to the congregation. Our marriages are also a gift to the congregation. But I, I want all the single people to feel like You are equally as valued as anybody else, just like Paul and Jesus are pretty valued in the Christian church. Um, We need you, and you are part of our family. When we say family, we mean all of our family, and, and this gets to be the more important family. And we have to be honest that we're all waiting for a perfect marriage, even those of us who are married. And one day, we as the bride get to be in a perfect marriage. With perfect intimacy with Jesus, and if you're single, you feel it a certain way. If you're in a marriage that's um, normal, <laughs> you feel it a different way because it's not going to be perfect. And um, so we all are in a place of longing and in a place of blessing from whatever place God has given us and whatever. So thank you for all of you and bringing who you all of who you are to us as a family.
0: Amen. All right, next question. Love for each of you to address uh, briefly. Um, So we're a multi-ethnic congregation, an intercultural congregation. Uh, What do you see as some of the uh, strengths that we have to address sexuality because we're intercultural and multi-ethnic, and what are some of the challenges you think we have because we're intercultural and multi-ethnic? So anybody can jump in.
1: Uh, When I was asked to come teach classes here, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I have people signing up, and I can't pronounce their names. And, like, they're coming from a completely different culture. And I had to stop myself because everything that I teach comes from the Bible. It is cross-cultural. God's truth is God's truth, whether it's in Rwanda or in the United States. And um, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's all I got.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Stick to the Bible. That's good. I think we have to be culturally sensitive and do some work in our diversity studies because we have cultures where uh, secrets are acceptable, especially sexual secrets, and it becomes an accepted part or mores in that particular society. Mm -hmm. So I think when we realize that that is an aspect of a culture, we need to be aware in terms of our orientation to people that these may be issues depending on what culture we may be encountering at the time things that we can be mindful of to be able to pick up signs we wouldn't necessarily be looking for Hmm. if we're culturally educated.
0: That's good.
4: I think a lot of it is just um, cultural humility and being honest that I don't understand where you're coming from and, and don't guess necessarily because you know the country the person's from or the color the person is that you know where they're coming from because even so some people from the same culture, maybe a different generation, some people have a, they've, they've come with an ethic of, of, a traditional ethic that you're supposed to get married. I remember one of my African students, he, he talked about he was walking through the field as a young person and he, he said, I don't know if I'm going to get married. His mom stopped and said, don't you ever think that, don't you ever say that. Because basically you must carry on the family name and it doesn't matter what you think, this is about the family. And um, that was that was where he was coming from. That was his background. But there there are white American middle class folks who got that same message, and then there are people who come from whatever background who got a message of it's all about your personal fulfillment and whatever whatever is best for you and you know just continue to pursue your career and your happiness and whatever and maybe someday you'll get around to a marriage. Um, and I think again the Bible has something to say about all that. That the point is we're living for Jesus and we're living for the kingdom and it's not about what's best for me or best for my family. It's about what is God calling me to, including marriage and or not. Um, so anyway, I, I just, I think we, but the beauty of this congregation is you get to have so many interesting conversations with people and say, tell me about what you grew up with. Tell me about where you're coming from now. Tell me about how you're different from your parents. And um, so that's, that's what I love about being here and being with all you, because there's always Always something interesting.
2: Yeah, I don't know that I have a ton to, to add to that. I mean, I, I think um, cultural sensitivity is, is really important in, in, in exploring each other's cultures and learning from each other and figuring out what's kingdom culture and what's just our own personal preferences that we like is actually just a little bit of Christian subculture or whatever. Um, but I also think there's certain things that we can insist on. Um, that the things that are near and dear to my heart, for instance, that I think our our kingdom culture is regardless of um, where people are coming from, I think I think we need to be have conversations about domestic violence. Um, and I also think gender and gender roles, and that God has a very high view of women. Um, and in, in the United States, um, for sure there's a lot of misogyny, but also in lots of other cultures, and I think those are some things that we can insist upon.
0: Thank you. All right, so uh, as a takeaway for each of us, what, what can I and what can any of us do as an individual to feel more comfortable and confident talking about sex with fellow believers? So it's, it's great to have a talk about it confidently and comfortably from the pulpit, but how do, how do I, in my everyday life, talk with other, other people uh, about sexuality. Any tips?
1: I have a couple of tips. Um, one, if you're married, pick up a great sex book. Um, Sheep, Music, Sheep Music by Kevin Lehman is one that we use in the class. Um, I have my book, Awaken Love, here, if you're interested in that, it's another great book. And, um, and read it out loud to each other. And you'll start getting comfortable with those words. Um, it'll put you on a neutral platform because nobody's brought up an issue, and you could say, how, is that how it is for you? And and you can, you know, ask each other. And it, it just helps you get comfortable with the topic. I think taking an Awaken Love class is a great way to do it. And just because these classes are passed doesn't mean you can't do it. They're video classes online. Just go to awaken-love.net, and you can sign up in groups of all by yourself or with two people or three people and uh, just put a group together. But But going through that class where you're talking about things is really going to help you get comfortable with the topic.
2: I think um, it's like with anything, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the easier it gets. And if you don't use it, it atrophies. So the more you just talk openly about sex. I mean, we've just said masturbation and orgasm and whatever in church. And so now you can do that more um, <laughs> it, it, and I think a really clear distinction though between healthy vulnerability between a few close people and the oversharing that happens online and like this is not about um, sharing all kinds of, I, I think husbands and wives should keep a lot of things private between, them. I mean there's, there is healthy privacy Um, And there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability that's safe and healthy and that stuff that's just, like vomiting online. Just be really careful about the distinction between those things.
3: Yeah, I would like to recommend two books that I think are tremendously important. They'll set you back about 200 bucks, so they're very expensive. (laughs) Uh, People in ministry, a lot of times, are lacking resources to be able to better themselves in the arena of counseling. One is the American Journal of Pastoral Counseling. And there's a compendium of articles and stuff that can give you insight in what's happening currently in the world of psychology, gender, sex, all of that. Uh, another is pastoral care and counseling and sexual diversity uh, that can really be a blessing to you. Dr. Larry Crabb has two great books, one called Inside Out. The other is Connecting, which is a very, very good book uh, for you to read to give you some tools and to help the church build some scaffolding. Yep. Uh, there's another one called uh, Sex for Christians I think it is, I forget the author but uh, you need to educate yourself, you need to read and then, because you can't really talk about something you have no information about, right and it just ends up being a conversation about opinions and not really anything that's really substantive to help people move from point A to B that's good,
0: Pastor Steve
4: um, so I, I've been enjoying some sex, I've been re- well,
3: yeah, that too. Um. <laughs> oh, and pastors. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't say that, Dr. Pastor <laughs> Steve. Shame on you, Pastor. No. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no shame in that. Supermarital sex by Dr. Paul Persol is also a good one. <laughs> We're having a great time, aren't we?
4: <laughs> I've been enjoying some reading about sex. Um. <laughs> um. Christianity Today had to has a bunch, of, a bunch of good articles. Um, <laughs> just, just read that one this, this week about justice in sex and how married sex is social justice, that it's really important, and especially for women and for children, it's, it's an important social justice thing to be having sex in marriage and not outside of marriage. And um, I could go into detail about that. I would recommend this book, and I'd recommend you get in a discussion group about it. <laughs> Because it's been very helpful, and the the other one about a war of loves. I've read a number of books about LGBTQ stuff, and that's one of the most accessible and well well put together one. That's the next book that's going to be discussed. Um, also, some some mystery of marriage, um, Tillman Keller's The Meaning of Marriage. I've, I've been reading those books, and and uh, there's just a, a number of good things as well as some of the ones that that uh, Ruth had in her thing. So so there, um, the one we got when we were newlyweds of. Uh, Ed Wheat, Ed, um, can't think of the name of it, um, but um, intended for pleasure is is helpful for for couples especially. So there's a, a lot of things out there for singles, for couples, and um, and I, and I would get a good recommendation from somebody because there's also not such good stuff out there too. Um, so uh, I think we move to a different question here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um we we did. So uh, we kind of two questions. So uh, and actually I promised Ruth you get to say just another sentence of a few a little bit more about her book. So if you could just tell us what's in it, why it's helpful to us and
1: Yeah, so um Awaken Love is a really honest, vulnerable look at what it what it takes to create an amazing sex life in marriage. And, and so it's not just why sex is important, but but how do you create a sex life that both of you are really going to enjoy? Uh, For a lifetime and um, and it's my story, but it's also the stories of a lot of women in class that are intertwined So it's very real life and it's very um, application-based with discussion questions and um, Activities you can do so I, I have copies that I brought. I'm selling for $10 if anybody's interested. I'll be out in the lobby, so
0: Great. So if the worship team, if you guys could come up and uh, we are going to, we're actually out of time. I wanted to get one last yep, question come that in.
4: Dr. Morgan didn't yeah. get to yet because uh, I think it's because somebody really asked this and I thought it was important. What are some practical tips and tools that can help me as a man or a woman from viewing things I know aren't good for me? So we talked about pornography, but what, what do we, how do we do
3: practically to stay away from that or anybody else? Well, I think, number one, you've got to talk about it. You've got to let somebody know you're having an issue. Uh, I've talked to pastors who have problems with pornography, and I felt comfortable enough to come to me and talk with me about it, I think, because of the atmosphere that I try to create for them. I think women should also know that Christian women are also increasing in significant numbers in terms of their addiction to pornography. And so I think even not only men the men talking to one another, But us talking to our spouses openly, if we can, so we can get that help. Because I think spouses have a unique place in our lives. Number one, to encourage us. Number two, to pray for us. Because the Bible tells us if we pray together, there's power in that. And when we're uh, stifled in our prayers for one another, uh, it it opens our door to our home, to the adversary. And so I think having that honesty, just owning it uh, like you were talking about. Uh, not being drowned in shame, but being able to get the help knowing that we're all striving simply to be uh, creatures who are living lives that are pleasing to God in the midst of our frailty. It's
4: great. There are also some things like covenant eyes I put on my, my uh screen so that I, I'm a holy man. I, what's that? I'm a holy man. Yeah, all right. <laughs> There's a good one. Um, David Sanquist had some good suggestions for how to do it not only for yourself but for your for your young people to to, to screen their screens and um there, it really is a a thing that we need to be to be uh very strict about um my uh my brother-in-law tells tells a story about clarence uh my father-in-law running across a pornographic magazine on the road they threw it in the truck and then uh he went in, and inside and dad went in the truck and he didn't happen to know there's no view nothing on that side of the house except the window in the garage. He happened to go in the garage and see dad walk with a pornographic magazine and throw it in the, in the fire. That is not everyone's experience. A lot of people ran into pornography because they found their dad's stash. Um, and so we, what you do matters. Not only to you, not only to your spouse, but to your kids and to our community. And we need to be helping each other along. And being accountable, accountable is is just the negative. We also need to be, um, like you said, encouraging one another in in having uh, good sex and in in, uh, having good covenant relationships if we're single. And um, so we, I think this is a great opportunity for us to move one more step. I really want us to be an authentic community where we can be honest about everything, not with everyone, but with someone, and live in grace where we really know that Jesus has forgiven us and he's transforming us and we have hope for the future.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up. If you three could hand your microphones back to, or I guess Sarah keeps her own microphone, and uh, <clears throat> um, let's give a hand to our panelists. Um, <clears throat> you're so grateful. And uh, we will... Uh, we will give a benediction after we have uh, sung through this next song. Let's just give the
4: benediction now. Yeah, I want to give the benediction now, so you can be free to go, and you can be free to worship, and you and we won't interrupt the worship. So for those of you who want to keep worshiping, you can keep worshiping. If you want to pray, there will be people here to pray with you about maybe something that, that touched you. If you want to discuss more, we're having chew afterwards with some with some food, and um, so let's let's pray and let's give the benediction. Lord, we are so thankful for your gift of love and of sex and of sexuality that helps us to be like you. You made us in your image, male and female, like the Trinity where we can reunite. And Lord, we we ask you to help us to use your gift the way you designed it so that we can get all the joy that you designed for that part of our bodies and ourselves and our relationships. And Lord, we just ask as a Christian community, as a church, not only our local church, but as a church in this city and in this world, in a really confusing, chaotic, um, broken, and accusing time, that we would be different, honest, grace filled, knowing you and putting you first in our lives. Lord, there's, there's so much that you want to do to take us even farther in this. And Lord, so we just pray that you would do that. For us, with us individually and together and in our families, and we know that we need your power, your strength, your love to make that happen. So we ask you to do that in us, and we pray that you'd help us day by day, week by week, night by night as we go through this next week and going on, that you would transform us into the loving people that you want us to be that we would put others and you first, that we would be loving you with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, all our bodies, and we'd be loving others fully as well as ourselves. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the love of the Father, and in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, go into your world. Amen.